Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. We create one-on-one custom fitness solutions to achieve your goals without wasting time or compromise. We build and rebuild committed people so you can get out of pain, get strong, and get back to living the life you want to. We don't waste time. So let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Feel Strong Podcast. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to have you here. One thing that we don't spend a lot of time talking about and don't really specialize in is helping people lose weight. And that's one of the things that you're best at. How did you develop that specialty? Like what drew you there? You know, I kind of took a, a backwards route here because I, you know, I started out, well, kind of focusing on competitors, helping people get on stage. And I did that prior to helping this lifestyle people get in shape and get fit, which normally it's a progression that goes the other way. Uh, but that was what I knew best because that's, that's what I pursued myself. And so my wife and I had pursued. And so it, it started out there and then it evolved from there t- more towards a lifestyle type, type approach. How long did you compete for? 12 years actively as a competitor myself. I turned pro in, in 2018, got my IFBB pro card and retired. <laughs> check and check. Yeah, I was kind of, well, I was kind of in denial there for a bit. I, I always viewed it as my finish line and made a half-assed attempt to come back two years after I turned pro and I decided that I'd kind of lost that fire and nothing else to prove and had already competed 40 times. So I was, I was ready to close that, that chapter in my life. I mean, congratulations on the pro card. What made you, what do you, what was the impetus for that, that as you call a half-assed attempt two years later? Like what made you think you wanted to do it before you realized you didn't? Well, you know, it was kind of like, it was one of those things where I didn't want to have this, this curiosity left in my mind, like where, you know, maybe I should have gotten on stage as a pro to experience what it would be like to compete as a, as a pro. But you know, it, it just, I think part of it was I had, I had already felt a little bit burnt out towards the end of my career. And even the last season going into my, my final season as an amateur, I wasn't really feeling it and I was just going through the motions and I didn't really get excited about it until probably a month out from my first show. And I competed four times that year and built momentum and finally got the pro card, uh, which I, I really didn't believe that I was going to do it. It was kind of, kind of took me by surprise, but it was obviously a very appreciated and, and an awesome. It's a really big deal. I don't think that people who don't know about bodybuilding understand because you described it as a season, and I know there is a season. I don't think people <laughs> compare it favorably to other sports in that way that you really have to plan your year out and have an entire plan for how this thing is going to go so you're ready yeah. for, in in many times, a single day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, everything goes into, really, I mean, a single day, but even just a few minutes in all actuality, how much time you actually spend on on the stage. But, yeah, it takes months and months of work of the actual preparation process, but you're always getting ready. I mean, I, I would always get the question like, well, when are you going to start getting ready for the next one? I'm like, well, I'm, <laughs> the minute I stepped off stage from the last one, I was getting ready for the next one. I mean, that's always, you're always looking forward and, and preparing whether you're kind of in your off season growth phase or cutting down in the prep phase, you're, you're always getting ready. How is that mental load when you're, when it's always, I mean, theoretically, you said something you like doing, you enjoy at least parts of it, yeah. uh, you know, have all of this commitment and all of this dedication to have that always looming over you and 
how how does that feel mentally? I actually loved it just because it always kept it kept me driving towards something and and having that goal and kind of a carrot dangling in front of me that I was always reaching for really provided a lot of structure and you know I'm I'm goal oriented so having that in front of me was was really a good thing and actually when I when I turned pro which was always my ultimate goal it it kind of threw me for a loop honestly I mean it was it was obviously a good thing that I and a blessing that I was able to achieve that but it also in some ways was a bad thing because it was something that I had been driving for for nearly a dozen years and when I got it I was kind of like oh crap now what and I hadn't really looked beyond that because I, you know, I didn't really truly believe I was going to get it. So I had to kind of refocus and, and uh, figure out what I was going to do um, and set my goals on or set, set my sights on some new goals after that. That sounds like a real challenge. I've heard something similar from people who have competed in the Olympics and, you mm. know, started at a young age, like maybe I'll be able to do this. And then they did and it went well or okay, or it went very well. And then two weeks later, they're like, well, now, now what? That was that yeah. was fifteen years well spent. But it, do I do it again? Do I do something else? <laughs> like, how do you gather yourself and try and find the next goal when that has been in front of you for so long? What was that like? Oh man, yeah, it really was. I mean, a very similar feeling. Just because I had, I mean, when with bodybuilding, you you really it, it kind of consumes your life. I mean, I have my business that, and I'm very passionate about. I'm very passionate about coaching and helping other people, and and I have my family. But it really did, bodybuilding itself, it, it kind of ran my life. It determined what I was eating. It determined, you know, how I was sleeping. It determined my, my workout schedule and, and my frequency. And, and so when you remove that, it was difficult. And, and so, I, you know, I, I really viewed it as a lifestyle to a certain degree. I don't, I don't view bodybuilding as a lifestyle by any measure, but living fit. And so, you know, I, I basically just tried to maintain a lot of the good habits that I had established over the years with a slightly different focus. And it, it's kind of evolved and it's, and it's still probably evolving to this day because it's been four years and, and a couple of months now that I've, I've been a pro, but, um, but yeah, just putting my focus elsewhere, putting my focus on, on our, you know, on our business and our, and our growth and some, some personal goals outside of that. I mean, I didn't have a goal right away after that, that was as big as achieving a pro card. So that was something I really had to, to find and, and find quickly because I felt lost Fine. there for a bit. I think that makes perfect sense. And finding a new direction when you've been on one road that's leading one direction for so long and then yeah. deciding you need to build a different road sounds incredibly intimidating. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but bodybuilding taught me a lot of things. I mean, they were so, so beneficial. And I think, you know, from the outside looking in, nobody would view it that way. But because everyone views it as this vain pursuit of muscle. But I never viewed it as that way, as that. It was, for me, it was, um, you know, the pursuit of constant improvement and you know, whether the outcomes go in your favor or whether they improve was kind of irrelevant. It was more like, was, was I improving? Was I making differences and changes and, and improvements in, in all sorts of different aspects of, of the com competition side of things? You know, was my mentality stronger? I had to have a stronger mindset. Did I present better? Was my, my posing better? Was I more muscular? Was I leaner? You know, all sorts of little metrics that you can use to, to say, yeah, I improved. I got better outcome maybe it wasn't as better like the results from the placing maybe weren't weren't as good usually they got better as i improved but sometimes they didn't and so i kind of had to place it you know it's kind of like that cliche saying it's me it's you against you and it, and it really did kind of turn into that and it made it a lot more gratifying and fulfilling going through the process and i've tried to apply that in 
other areas of my life, as long as I personally am moving forward, then, then it's a good thing. And you can't always base it on the outcomes. I, I really like that you versus you, especially in a sport like that, where you, the thing you can't control is how other people are doing or who's going to yeah. show up. And some new guy walks right. in the room. You're like, I didn't even know it's competing against that. <laughs> like, how am I supposed to get ready for that? And that's yeah. always going to be out of your control, but that's also easily applicable to the rest of life, right? The things you can't control, the things you'll never be able to control are Absolutely. sort of not worth worrying about because since you can't, and I talk to, I you, pardon me, I'm going to start that over. I work with a lot of people who are in pain, chronic pain, getting out of injury, things like that. Yeah. And sometimes they will focus on their diagnosis or the, like I have a herniated disc. My knee is bad. I twisted my ankle seven times when I was playing field sports. It's like, okay, there's nothing we can do to change that. So we're not even going to spend a moment thinking about it. We're going to work on everything we can improve and everything we can adjust about your life, how you feel, how you perform, how you look, all of this stuff that's important to you. Without a scalpel, I can't do anything about your herniated disc and you really don't want me holding a scalpel. So we're not like perseverating on this isn't going to get us anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something that, that I say all the time, I, I completely agree with that is, you know, control your controllables. If they're, if you're focusing and, and, and dwelling so much on something that you cannot control, you're going to drive yourself crazy and you're going to be very unhappy. So you have to control that, which was in your control. If, and, and if, as long as you have good, good control good control of that, good handle on that, then you're going to be a lot more fulfilled, a lot happier and, and not as stressed as you otherwise would be. Now, how do you take all of this experience and all of these lessons that you learned and transfer it to, as you called like a normal lifestyle client, which I'm imagining is someone who is committed, motivated, coachable, but has a nine to five job, wants to change some things about the way they look, the way they feel, but is not ready to, you know, I suspect not ready to radically transform their life and have it sort of consume them in a way that an athlete would. Yeah. Great question. Because again, it is an unorthodox route that I took and it really wasn't by choice. It's just, mostly it was because I never viewed fitness as a career. And so I, you know, I was just kind of helping people while I worked in the corporate world and, and did those things. But to, to answer your question, it's, it's the strictness and and just how how consuming bodybuilding is that taught me that that is not the way. And so it's kind of like being exposed to this far end of, of the spectrum, this extreme end of the spectrum showed me that, okay, this obviously is is way too time consuming for the average person. Even, even most bodybuilders, the way that they, they do it, they burn out within a few years because they, they don't have any sort of balance. And I was able to do it for you know, for 12 years because I was able to figure that out, but it did take me a few years and actually almost two years into it. I, I almost quit because I was, I'm a very OCD person. And so I, I really went all in and probably way too far in when I started and, and didn't and kind of let everything else go. And that's, that's you're not going to last if you do that. And I also learned that, you know, you can't just stick to this strict, you know, five different foods and that's all you ever eat. And it's just not, it's not sustainable. It's not, not even enjoyable. So why, why would you be doing that? So I found a, a lot more sustainable approach, even to the way I, I approached bodybuilding and, and contest prep and, and found a much more sustainable way for lifestyle clients to, to approach things. And, and so I, you know, I, I even, I keep it the same almost between my lifestyle clients and my, and my contest prep clients where it's, we really try to keep it sustainable healthy is health is the number one priority for both which is kind of rare in the contest prep space which it shouldn't be but it is and so that's that's one thing that 
from a differentiation standpoint, isn't all that different. Um, but it's it's based on sustainability. Well, first of all, it's really cool to hear that you're prioritizing health, even in your contest prep clients, because I know there's a lot of coaches out there who aren't doing that or even yeah. kind of revel in not doing that. And, you know, we are going to, you know, put ourselves through the ringer and see what our liver can take and X, Y, Z to achieve this result. I don't really care what you feel like five years from now. So double thumbs up to that. Are people surprised when they come to you for, you know, a lifestyle client comes to you that you're actually after this sort of sustainable balance approach as opposed to something, I don't know, a little more hardcore? I guess it depends on how familiar they are with me because I've preached sustainability for years and that's kind of been my my message and my platform. But uh, I think if they were judging a book by its cover, they, they may not they may not think that. Not that I, I don't think that I look too extreme anymore, at least compared to how I used to. But if you you know if you base it off pictures, based off like what I look like, you you might assume that I'm just some dumb meathead and I'm going to give you a, a diet of tilapia and, and asparagus and send you on your way. Oh God, it sounds so boring. It does. It's so common though, unfortunately. How do you determine if someone's a good fit to work with you? You know they. There's a, there's a a few different points of reference that we use, but you know, they have to be coachable. They have to be willing to direction and guidance. And, you know, the thing is we work with a kind of unique demographic. I mean, obviously we have competitors uh, with varying degrees of knowledge. Some people doing it for the first time have no clue what they're doing or or aren't familiar with, with training, with nutrition, with, with competing. And then we have some that are, and, and then varying levels on the lifestyle side of things. But they have to be coachable, number one. And, you know, outside of that, I think almost anything else can be addressed. But, you know, so they have to be coachable. They have to be willing to make it a priority. Um, if it's not a priority for them, then I, you know, there's only so little that I can do. They have to want it. They have to, that kind of goes along with the priority. They have to desire to, to do it. And I, I say that one just because we'll sometimes get like a, a spouse that, wants to bring their significant other into the equation like can you talk to them can you convince them to do it like no that's that's really not going to work i mean if they if they want to do it but they're having trouble you know getting off the fence i can talk to them sure but if they have no desire to do it themselves it's never going to work they they have to have that that desire within them to begin with so i you know i'd say those are those are some good starting points to determine whether or not we're a good fit yeah we've had very similar experiences where people want us to get on a call and help someone or get them to start a program. And I'll talk to anybody. Absolutely. But if they don't want to do it, like this one hour is going to be wildly insufficient. We actually need to affect the other 23 hours when they're not in front of me. And if they're not interested or they say this is their goal, but nothing they are doing is aligning with that goal, then at least now they're not even in the market for what I'm selling. So why would we waste everyone's time and money if it isn't actually what you want right now? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, I've obviously been lied to, I'm sure you have too, or they are saying all the right things and they, they appear to, to be a right fit. And then, you know, obviously actions speak louder than words and it, it turns out not to be the case, but, and sometimes those people can, you can be shown, they can be shown the light, you know, and, and be shown how important it is to take care of your health and they can, you know, make that conversion other times. They, they just don't, even if they do see it and they recognize how important it is, they're like, yeah, just still not that important to me. So they, they still don't make the decisions that, that align with their desires. What happens when you have a client who's, who's repeatedly doing that? You know, we, sometimes we have a, 
as I like to call it, a come to Jesus talk, you know, where sometimes you'd have to be, you know, upfront with them. Cause I, I, you know, the number one core value of our company is no bullshit. And, and so we, we try to not blow smoke, you know, it's like, if things aren't working out, then we're going to, we're going to talk to you about it. And, but we're also empathetic, you know, obviously we're not just going to be this hardcore, like you must do this. You have to do this. This is the only way everyone's approach is different. Everyone's uh, situation and circumstances are, are different. And uh, we're all about meeting you where you're at and customizing things to, to fit, fit you in the best way possible. And everyone's journey is different. And so, you know, if, it, if it's a slower approach, I'm totally okay with that. It's a faster approach. I'm okay with that too. As long as we get to the end and we're, and we're learning the right things and, and taking in the, the right messaging along the way, then it doesn't matter how we get there. But you have to be at least willing to, to have that conversation, willing to listen and willing to, you know, to, to make it a priority. Aside from compliance, which I imagine is always the biggest stumble, what are some like common mistakes or maybe issues that you see people run into? Well, I think a very common thing nowadays is just the overabundance of information out there. And so people will get swayed by something they see online, something they see on social media, something that their friend is doing, um, and start incorporating things. So I actually had this happen the other day where uh, a girl jumped onto some cleanse that she, she's like, oh, I just needed a good reset. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, I can't... Uh, really wish you hadn't done that. And she, and she, you know, she had been doing it for a week by the time I found out about it. And I'm, I'm like, wow, well that's, and she kind of told me what she was doing and it's like celery juice and, you know, bullshit after bullshit. I'm like, I don't know. I'm sure what you read was very compelling and had some great testimonials to make it seem like it was this amazing thing, but it's not founded in any sort of science. Um, there's no evidence to back its efficacy. And if you just, if you just use pure logic, it makes no sense. And those are, <laughs> those are unfortunate times, but that does happen. So I think it's just overabundance of information out there is, is what really distracts people and confuses people at the same time. Yeah, that desire for novelty. I mean, I run into it all of the time and there's, there's a couple of different ways to deal with it. But when you can point out to someone that you've been, you've followed awesome programs for three weeks, 27 programs in a row and none of them have worked. I think I'm starting to understand why nothing's working. And I know you don't want to hear that what we need to do is, you know, this variation of front squat for the next 10 weeks to get the changes that you want. So we're going to like put some window dressing around it and try and find a way to make it a little more appealing because the fact is that's if, if what you want is what you say you want, that's what you have to do to get it. Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) As you were saying there, just in that the first part of what you said was, you know, if there's, if you've tried 27 different diets and you've, you know, <laughs> or different approaches, whatever it is, I have to say, I have to ask you like, well, what is the common denominator there? And it's not, it's not a conversation that's very comfortable, but in the end, it ultimately, most of the time, and I truly believe this, most of the time we get in our own way and we self-sabotage and you know, I think that's a lot of inner work that needs to be done along along with the outer work, obviously the physical work that needs to be done, but it does start within. And that's kind of something that I discovered earlier on. It took it took a little while to figure out, you know, why people were, were failing over and over again, despite having this, you know, this, in my opinion, a perfectly laid out plan. And ultimately it came down to, you know, what was going 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 on between their ears. 
And there's so many limiting beliefs, so much self-sabotage that happens in our day-to-day along with our, our physical health that holds us back. And so that's that's become a big part of our coaching program to to try and get to that root, root cause. And if we can fix that and get that in better alignment, then all of a sudden the physical part becomes pretty easy. That's huge. How do you start working on someone with around those mindset goals once you've kind of identified them? Well, we kind of have to find out what the belief, what are the beliefs that they have about themselves? And, and that's not always easily extracted because a lot of people will, will guard those things. And so you have to ask the right kinds of questions. I think you have to have the right kind of relationship with people as well, where they, they can trust you. And, you know, our relation or our, our coaching style is more of a relationship based coaching in that we really, we really do. It's well, it's all one-on-one. So we really do try to create a good relationship with, with our people, make sure that, that we understand where they're at and where they want to go and kind of what they've been through and things come out over time. Sometimes they're not quite ready to reveal those things on day one as, as you would expect, but uh, you know, you ask the right kind of questions. There are certain techniques that we, that we use to, to try and get to those, those root cause effects and obviously get to know them better. But again, without that, it's going to be very difficult to come up with any sort of lasting results. And it's unlikely that they're even going to follow through that kind of like self-limiting belief structure you know, maybe you'll make it three, six weeks, whatever it is. But as real life starts to sneak in, it becomes easier and easier for people to get in their own way. And yeah. I found this maybe not more so, but I've been surprised how often it comes up with other coaches who, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of coaches need coaches. They need that other yeah. set of eyes and objective. And they are some of the best people at getting in their own way because they know so much. So Absolutely. they'll be on a program, even if it's exactly based around them and all this data and all the science and they'll be halfway through a flipping you know set like actually you know if i did something a little different oh you know what i feel this i think i'm going to incorporate this new technique i was just reading about and suddenly they're doing something else you're like hey man we talked about your goals and your where are you going and they just and then it all falls apart because they built something completely unsustainable you know four (laughs) and a half hour 97 part program that no one could do well, in the end, they're still human, right? But then they're also burdened with a little bit of knowledge and sometimes over overabundance of knowledge, even just with what they have. And so they start, uh, you know, incorporating different things. And so some of my worst, and I hate to say worst, but least compliant or maybe least successful pain in the ass clients, let's just put it that way, let's just be blunt about it, is are people that, that have some knowledge or people that, that may, again, it kind of comes down to coachability too, right? That ultimately, it's kind of rooted in that, but um, other trainers, other coaches, even doctors that I've worked with that are like, ah, you know, I, I great. I appreciate that, but I'm, I'm going to try and do this. Or sometimes they don't tell you, usually they don't, they start changing things on their own. And that's where, that's where you go sideways. You know, there's more than one way to get from point A to point B, but if you try and take two different routes, you're going to end up in no man's land. It's not going to work. Yeah, and you're just wandering around the middle stuffing, you know, trying to staple six programs together and weird that doesn't work that way. Cause none of yeah. them were ever built to work that way. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah, you got to focus and, and pick a path and stick to it. That one-on-one approach, especially working on mindset, requires a lot of trust from people. How yeah. do you go about creating that with someone that you don't know before? You know, I think it, it, it requires vulnerability on both sides. Because if you're, if you're the one that's only asking the questions, never sharing anything about yourself, why would they feel comfortable sharing anything about themselves? 
so, you know, I think, and I think also too, from the position of a coach, it can often be viewed as you're perfect. This is easy for you. This is, you know, there, there, you've never faced any sort of challenges. You're not a human, you know, that sometimes it really is viewed that way. Like you're just a robot. And, and I think, you know, getting, getting vulnerable yourself is required in order for other people to, to open up. So that's, that's definitely something I always share. I mean, I'm, I'm not a perfect person, you know, and I, I, you know, I run a team of, you know, 15 people and we've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, the assumptions I'm sure are made, but in the end, I'm just a human like anybody else. And we go through our own struggles. So I, I don't, I don't hide those. I talk about them all the time. I think that's huge. And especially for any coaches or business owners listening, showing people that you're a human being and that you live in the world and experience real things and have, and, you know, share as much as you're comfortable with. Like if you yeah. want to talk about your family, talk about your family. If you don't, don't. But I've had far more success showing myself like struggling to do something and then sipping tequila six hours later and people be like, I didn't know you did either of those things. Like, yeah, <laughs> like not all the time, but this works in with the grand plan I have for looking good, feeling good, you know, getting off the toilet by myself when I'm 85. Like this is all part of the plan. Oh, well, it's, yeah. Oh, so you can do it. Okay. I understand. So it's not robotic. It's not just tilapia and Brussels sprouts. Like there is a way to, you know, pick your battles and everything's a compromise and everything's a balance, but that's okay. As long as you're okay with a little bit of balance in your life. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I, again, kind of going back to my, my origin story where I started out being as about as hardcore as you could, just because I thought that was the only way to get there. And, and obviously it did, it can render great results. It definitely can. I mean, it's not like that doesn't work. It does. It does. But are you happy? <laughs> Is that something that you can, can you sustainably do for a long period of time? And at least for me, and I think for the, the majority of people, no, you, you can't. Because I'm all about living life and, and life is not about not participating in anything and sacrificing pretty much everything else for one sole purpose. And, and there are definitely those that have accomplished a ton of things out there that would probably say that that is the way. And I've also heard that there's no such thing as balance. And to a certain degree, I would agree with them. But I think that there is a compromise. And, and that's why, you know, the approach that we try to take is you know, yeah, you can have donuts every once in a while. And, you know, if you want to go out to, to dinner with, with your spouse on the, on the weekends, let's make that work. If it's your kid's birthday and you want to have a, a slice of cake, you can do that. And, and we're going to show you how you can do that without sabotaging your entire lifestyle. So that's, that's something where I've just become, I've realized that you have to be a realist. And, and if you're going to live in the real world and be fit in the real world, you have to know how to handle it. And so that's, that's really one thing that we try to focus on is real life tools and, and tactics to make this work. I think that's huge and really powerful because people, it's easy to see things as all or nothing, right? And it's sometimes that's, yeah. sometimes that makes it easier for people to navigate things, right? Which is where a lot of like the fad diets come from. Like it's easier to be gluten-free than to decide what you are and aren't going to eat in a picky way. If like, oh, well, none of these things, now it's all off the menu. And that, and I know there's people who have to be gluten-free. Celiacs don't yell sure. at me, but right. You know, people who are like, well, this is how I'm going to lose weight. I'm just going to do this because it's very simple. It's a, a line yeah. down the middle, but there's a cost to everything. Right. But there's also a benefit to these things. Like if your kid is having a birthday party and they offer you a piece of cake, you should take the cake. You should eat the cake. Like there's a there's so much benefit 
to whatever that cost is, it's definitely there. So you probably should see it coming. You should probably plan for it the day before and you know, reverse engineer this. So not only does it work with your life, but now it's part of the plan and it has to work with your life. Yeah. Now, I can't stay out particularly late most days, but a couple of weeks ago there was a concert and I planned for it and rearranged my schedule and did the whole thing. And who I went to bed after midnight. I hadn't done that in a very long time. Right. But yeah. the benefit to hang out with my wife and, and hearing great music and all that was huge and it was important. Yeah, and so, creating those memories, right? Exactly. You know, you're, as much yeah. as it's a compromise, it's also a huge benefit you can reap. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I was talking with somebody just this morning about, I think it's a, the book, I think it's called The Comfort Crisis, but it was talking about, I don't know if it was in that book in particular, but basically like viewing your life and the way that monks and, and Buddhists view, and I'm not really familiar with, the, with them at all, but the concept he was talking about is they think about death and, and like how every day you're getting closer to, like if you view death as like a cliff and the edge of the cliff, and every day you're getting a little bit closer to that edge of the cliff. And, and you think about how somebody behaves on their deathbed and on their deathbed, they, they view things very, very differently. And I believe Steve Jobs kind of was, was kind of along these lines, kind of viewed things differently once he got to that point where he was facing death. He's like, you can't take any of this stuff with you. And ultimately what matters is the memories that you've been able to create, the people and the relationships that you have, the people in your life, the relationships that you have. And, and so if you start to look at things, again, going back to like the way the, the Buddhists look at things and monks look at things, if they are thinking about that, they're thinking about, I think that just puts it in a different perspective. And all of a sudden you have, you value things a little bit differently. And having a piece of cake on your kid's birthday, is that going to destroy your life? Is that going to, you know, <laughs> ruin your goals? It's just one moment, right? Is that going to ruin your goals and completely derail you? No, but what does it do? It, it you, you were able to join in on your daughter's birthday and your son's birthday and your friend's birthday and, and create that memory with them. So ultimately, is that more important? In my opinion, yes. And the thing is, it's, I don't really think that it is a compromise. It's just a matter of knowledge and knowing how to make that work without giving up on the things that you're trying to pursue. It's not one or the other. It's not all in or all out. And that's, I think that that all in or all out, it's, it's kind of, we're kind of hardwired that way. But if you live that way, most of the time, you are going to end up on the all out side of the equation. It just doesn't work. And I've seen that play out over and over and over again. What's an example of that, of, of someone ending up all out that you can think of? Well, I, th I think when somebody like commits to a diet, for example, they, and they, you know, they're like, I'm going to be 100%. I'm just going to, I'm never going to deviate from this. I'm going to, I'm going to be 100% on my diet every single day. And then they have a moment of weakness they have a chocolate chip or like a, they, they take a bite of their kids mac and cheese because they didn't want to want it to go to waste. And they're like, well, there we go. Blew the whole day. Might as well, you know, eat all these things I've been putting off because I haven't been able to eat them because I committed to be 100%. And that bag of Doritos is calling my name and that box of Pop-Tarts and hey, let's order some pizza. Let's, let's break out the DoorDash app and, and revive that. And, and they're just all out in a really bad way. And that's, that's the problem with being all in. Is, is pretty much the only other way is all out and there, but there is an in-between and that's what we have to find. Yeah. They go off a little bit and two and a half days later, they look up and be like, Oh, I guess I'm going to restart today. How did you, you just, it was just Mac and cheese cheat meal man. turned into a cheat weekend, right? It's just, yeah, that's what yeah, happens. Cheat meal. Uh, I, I a hundred percent and it happens all the time with fitness too. I mean, I see, one of the things we like to tell people is like, don't miss twice. Everyone's going to miss. Yeah. 
you're going to miss it. Something's going to go wrong. It's a don't Seinfeld rule. Uh, is it? Yeah. Have you heard that? Don't break oh, the chain. Think, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why Jerry Seinfeld was so so successful is because he committed to putting at least 30 seconds, one minute, some sort of work towards you know creating new material every single day. And he actually, he would get a calendar out for, you know, for the younger people that don't know what a physical calendar looks like, you know, like the, the cat hanging on the bread saying, oh shit. Yeah. You'd have one of those on your, on your wall, take a red marker out for every day that you would do it. You just mark it off. And he got to the point where he just never wanted to break the chain. Like he always wanted to have a red X on every single day. But if he did happen to miss once, you don't miss again. You don't miss twice, or at least you don't miss two days in a row because that's when the habits starts to break. A hundred percent. And we've found it somewhat successful scaling for people. You know, if they miss a day, it's fine, but you can't miss the next day. Yeah. But you can even boil it down to like, oh, I, I, I messed this meal up. It's all right. The next one has to be good, though. Yeah. You might even mess up the one after that. But if we go every other, like we're going to be moving in the right direction and then it'll be easier to do two on one off and then five on one off. And then eventually the misses would become less and less frequent. But when it's a catastrophe, when missing one workout, when screwing up one meal, when going you know, slightly off your macros becomes you know the end of the world, then everything falls apart and there's there's no rules anymore. Right. Yeah. And that it's that all in or all out mentality. And it just it, it's not a winning mentality. I mean, I think, you know, going all in, I think is 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 an attitude I think that a lot of people have. And I, I don't necessarily agree with or disagree with like going all in like, Hey, I'm going to commit to this, but I also have to give myself some grace. Like it happened to screw up. Let's get back on track. Let's not completely fall off and, you know, feel bad about ourselves. Cause in the end, the, the little screw up that we had means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Like, oh man, that, that cheat meal you had, or that, that piece of Mac and cheese that you had on Wednesday night, that's maybe one meal that you screwed up on. How many meals are you eating throughout the week? You're eating like 30, 35 meals throughout the week. Is one meal really matter? What's your percentage on that? That's pretty damn good. So. Yeah, that'll get lost in the noise, especially if you get right back on track. But if you let that be, you know, the crack that opens up and shoots all the way down and suddenly you're on the other side of the yeah. canyon. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Where did things go wrong? Well, Wednesday night things went wrong and the rest of the week went to crap. Yeah. Can't let that happen. Usually Friday at 4 p.m. is usually what I hear. Friday at 4 p.m. things really <laughs> fell apart. And I looked up Monday morning and didn't know what had happened. Yep. Yep. Started drinking four o'clock. It's Miller time. And all of a sudden, yeah, Monday morning's pretty brutal. I want to talk about exercise for a minute. I come out of, I sort of came out of the functional fitness world, but I deeply love bodybuilding work and I love giving it to people. And I think it's super useful. And especially from like that, like functional fitness, CrossFit, there's, there's a lot of people who are kind of sniffy about bodybuilding work or don't think it's useful or valuable or applicable to anything other than aesthetics. How do you feel about that? I strongly disagree with them, by the way. Well, you know, my opinion on this has varied quite a bit over the years, because obviously I'm not, for one, a lot of CrossFit people, um, there's probably more abundant injuries in that world than there are in the bodybuilding world. Just due to the nature of some of the movements that they're doing and the combinations of movements that they're doing. But this may surprise you, but I can see a point that they're getting to. And and this is actually just a recent experience that I had where I did a a Spartan race over the summer and I did pretty good. You know, I'm cardiovascularly healthy, climbed the rope, no problem. 
through the monkey bars. Okay. Did all, you know, did the, I did all the obstacles. No problem. I didn't have to do burpees anywhere until I got to the rings and all of a sudden my bicep decided to rip off the bone. Um, so yeah, complete detachment, bicep tear, first bad injury in my entire career, but it, you know, I kind of swung down on, on the ring, put all my, my full body weight on there. And it was just something that my body wasn't used to. And I'm sure there was probably some premeditation just due to the work that I've done over the years where, you know, there's probably some fraying of the tendon, but that was, uh, that was enough of a, a different type of, of movement for me that it, it, it snapped it. And so I'm just like, well, you know, and that probably wouldn't have happened if I had been kind of training and doing things along those lines, maybe a little bit more functional <laughs> quote unquote. Um, but it did, it did make me realize like, I probably need to be a little bit more mobile than I am. And I'm in my forties, I'm 43 and you know what, or, or I could just accept the fact that, Hey, I'm a one trick pony. I pick things up, I put them down and, and that's about it. <laughs> but I would, to say it's not functional at all is, is pretty ludicrous. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, cause I'm pretty damn functional, you know, and I, and I can, I can do a lot of things that a lot of other people cannot, and I'm a bodybuilder, right? So what does that say? That, that kind of, that kind of goes, flies in the face of, of their, their argument, but to a certain degree, yeah, I'm not going to be doing backflips and which most people aren't right. But it's just a different specialty, but uh, you know, they they both have their place. I think that strength training is completely functional to say it's not, makes no sense. Exactly. And I think especially like back to what we were talking about before, like getting really individualized, like what exactly are your goals? I had a, my first session with a client this morning. I happened to have someone and he, he came to me because he's having some significant lower back pain has for a while. It's gotten to the point where, you know, he's, he's stopped doing construction. He's mostly in a chair, not entirely out of choice. Hmm. Even sitting a chair is hurting now. Now he's decided to take action. And we were doing like kind of, a, you know, a, a mobility, flexibility assessment, a little bit of strength assessment. And the first time he tried to step on a box, he one almost fell over. It was a relatively low box. Hmm. And I, I asked him like how it felt. He said, it feels terrible. My hip's really bad. And I think this leg is imbalanced. And he kind of hiked his shorts up a little bit. And his left leg is four inches smaller than his right leg. Like, oh, wow. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to do some really cool stuff. And we're going to make that leg bigger. And and it occurred to me, because I've talked to people before, about the the usefulness of bodybuilding movements and maybe like isolating movements. Because mm-hmm. uh, certainly like the, the functional fitness folks, like they, they squat and they press and most of them bench press and things like that. All the compounds. And it gets stuff. a lot of stick for like isolating muscles or, or things that, you know, aren't applicable to, you know, everyday life. I said, well, if that's, if all you're doing, if the only thing you do is a seated leg extension, then you're going to run into some troubles when you go for a run, jump, lunge, change direction, et cetera, sure. things like that. Sure. It'll be, it won't be awesome at helping you push your car out of the snow. But if we find that what you really need is right leg quad development to balance you out and get stronger, then we probably want to isolate that in some really significant ways. And especially for someone who's having lower back pain, like if I make this gentleman front squat, I'm going to break him in half. Yeah. It simply won't work. We have yeah. to start in a completely different place. And if you have all of these tools in your toolbox, like it, it didn't occur to me until I watched him. I was like, oh, we're definitely doing a lot of bodybuilding. I thought yeah. we were going to be doing something entirely different because the way you told me what was going on didn't really line up with what is going on. <laughs> but fortunately, I have some experience with this and I'm comfortable doing it. And now we're going to do a bunch of bodybuilding stuff. And I think if people open their eyes to how valuable all of these disciplines can be, their training and their coaching will be much richer. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, too many people get caught up in dogma. They just, they accept that, or they, they believe that their way is the only way. And I mean, that goes along with the lines with nutrition too, especially in the world of nutrition. And that's something that I've, I've never wanted to, um, I guess be classified as, as someone that believes in, in one way and one way only. I always try to keep an open mind and, and it's something that I, I wish other people did because they preach these things like this is the best way. This is the only way. If you're not doing it like this, then you are an idiot and, and you're doing it wrong. Um, anybody that says that, that's a red flag right there. <laughs> that's that's someone you should not listen to because they're obviously they've, they've taken one route and they they can't see anything else. They put their blinders on and, and refuse to look at anything else. But if we've learned anything over the years, especially with research and anybody that's evidence based research changes. And we discover new things and, and we have to be willing to hey, say, Hey, yeah, I was wrong about this. I've, I've discovered this new thing. And there's, there's anecdotal evidence that fills in the gaps for what's missing with research, but we also have to look at the research too. And then we have to look at the individual situations within the research too, because there's research to support almost everything, uh, whether it's, it's true or false. <laughs> you have to look at the, the subject groups and who's funding it and all these different things, what kind of agenda they may have. The Game Changers documentary was a good example of biased research, but but yeah, I mean, with the the functional side of things, and you know, the training, going back to that, I think that everyone has imbalances and is not symmetrical unless they are training, and that can really make that symmetrical. I think you know, left to right, we're always going to favor. Like I'm right-handed, so my right side's always going to be stronger. Not if you're bodybuilding, you should be pretty pretty damn symmetrical across the board, top to bottom, left to right. And that's, that's definitely functional. And we know that strength imbalances are a great indicator of either a reason you just got hurt or, uh-oh, you're about to get hurt. Like, that's one mm -hmm. of the first things I look for with people who are either in pain or, or honestly, it's like one of the first things they'll do as a generalist fitness assessment is at least a little bit of strength balance testing to make sure there's no red flags hiding in the grass that are about to sneak up and bite us. Yeah. Yeah. I have a personal experience with that. Honestly, I... It was more an imbalance or more like I was tight in one area. So I actually dislocated my knee during a competition, during my Oof. routine on stage at the California State Championships in 2012. I was up there and I ended up taking second, but I was going through my routine and I turned around to do a rear double bicep and my kneecap just popped out to the, to the, to the outside edge of my left leg and made for some really cool pictures. Luckily, I didn't go down on it or I would have shredded my knee, caught myself popped it back in, but just by touching it. But the reason why that happened is because my VMO, my, my vastus medialis and my quad, my inner quad muscle for anybody that doesn't know, VMO, I guess your, your, your audience probably knows, right? My VMO was pretty locked up, super tight, super tight from all the cardio I had done leading up to that competition. Had not, I kind of neglected it. And that in combination with being dehydrated and just some genetic, uh, I guess anomalies with the way that my bone structure was in my knee, I was pretty prone to it. And I popped out on stage, really didn't take any impact or anything. Felt like an impact, but, but anyway, that's, yeah, there's imbalances that happen all the time. And if we don't address them, you are setting yourself up for injury. That's a terrifying situation to hear about, especially <laughs> yeah. in that, like the amount of focus and you're performing and you're doing everything and suddenly your knee dislocates. Yeah. Luckily the, judging had already been done at that point so all i had to do was you know well fall to the ground and then go out and collect my trophy <laughs> made for an eventful night
I love what you said about not being dogmatic. And we, we say the exact same thing. Like if you find a zealot, walk away because, yeah. you know, I'm sure they're selling something expensive, but they are locked in their ways and they're no longer learning. They're no longer yeah. willing to change things. We talked about, you know, that experience on the rings and seeing some value with the functional training. What's something in the nutrition world that you remember changing your mind on? Oh man, this is probably, I mean, and this probably was you or anybody that's been in the fitness world for a while or in the nutrition world, um, fasted cardio, eating every two to three hours that boosts your metabolism, that stuff. Even, even when you look at the supplement side of things, how BCAAs don't do what they thought they were doing and, and you need more of a, a complete full spectrum of the amino acid. EAAs basically in an intra-workout setting is more functional or more, more useful than BCAAs. That was, that was new. Um, yeah, those are those are some big ones that definitely I think about right now. That's, that's those are some good ones right there. I don't know. <laughs> those are some big ones, and they're ones yeah. that there's at least someone listening right now who's like, "Wait, you're not wait you're what? Not, fasted cardio isn't better than than any other kind of cardio. I'm not supposed to eat eight times a day. What? Huh? What? Huh? Because this stuff is so entrenched in just sort of the zeitgeist and the fitness the fitness culture. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I mean, it's just. Because I've known for a while now, but I'm I, I'm still surprised by some people that believe some of those things. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's been disproven time and time over. I mean, I don't know how many times it's been disproven, but still, people still believe it because there are people that are preaching it still. Yeah, there are people preaching it, whether or not they're doing it. I'm not really sure, but they sure yeah. talk about doing a lot of fasted cardio and things like that. Yeah, actually, you know what? <laughs> that brings up another if I can complain about the fitness industry itself a little bit for a second. Um, there are so many people that preach one thing, but the way, so they might be super fit, look, look amazing, but the way they got there is not what they're teaching you. They're not preaching you, preaching to you what they did to get the physique that they have. So I've seen keto people that are super, super, you know, super excited and, and basically are zealots for, for keto have a great physique, but they did not get there. Uh, doing keto. I've seen, I've seen very fake vegans do that too, just because I happen to know who they are. They're not vegans themselves. They just preach that vegan lifestyle. Uh, Cause it's, you know, this it, people that, that believe in that are very, you know, very dogmatic in that. And they eat beef every night. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of fake fakeness in the world, especially on social media these days. It's so disappointing. And there's the same thing in the business world. Like I see people posing in front of cars that I know for a fact they don't own and things like that. And you're mm -hmm. like, man, you're making it yeah. and you're making everyone else feel terrible for not doing the thing or not seeing success doing the steps you say are going to work, but you certainly didn't follow them or the other side of it. Maybe you're not remotely as successful as you tell people you are, which is fine. And if we could be a little more vulnerable and transparent, it would actually be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's very true, especially in the business world. I was actually watching this. I was watching uh, Tom Bilyeu on his Impact Theory podcast the other day, or it was on his YouTube, and he was talking about how he and his wife shared a Ford Focus, and he had employees that had nicer cars than him, and he had to catch rides from them. And that's you know that's that's humility from a leader that's sacrificing everything for the good of the of the of the mission of the of the company or whatever they're trying to accomplish, and not you know, flexing on people by trying to buy these expensive cars and, and make themselves look, um, you know, wealthier than they actually are. It's only self-serving and it's, in, and honestly, it's based in insecurity is really where it's all based in. Yeah. It's all performance. It's not, it's never really for them. It's always so yeah. they can change what other people think about them. 
And if that's your greatest good, I don't think you're ever going to be happy. No, you're not. You're not. You're always going to be reaching for that next thing and worried about what other people's opinions are of you or what you think their opinions are of you. And in the end, they, no one really cares about you. Just you. A hundred percent. No, I say it all the time to people. I promise you nobody's paying attention to you. Yeah. I know you think they are. You haven't noticed the last five people who walked by you. It's just it's just how we're wired. Like yeah. You're not noticing. Yeah, we're, we're worried about it, but it's it's not based in reality. Jeff, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to tell people where to find you, but I'd like to ask you to describe, like, who is your ideal client? If people are listening right now and they're like, I don't know, should I work with Jeff? Like, what's the kind of person <laughs> that, that, that you like to work with who's a great client for you? You know, I we, we've gone through the whole avatar exercise and, you know, I think you discover who it is that you enjoy working with, who, who, who thrives in your program. And we've worked with such a wide variety of people over the years. And I enjoy all, I mean, I enjoy everybody. I'm, I'm a, I'm kind of a people person, which is kind of a weird thing for me to say, because I haven't always been that way. But, um, but you know, I, I really like working with people that are kind of my age. You know, I like, I like the middle-aged mom and dad. So when they're their thirties and their forties, even in their fifties, um, people that are driven and, uh, you know, and are, are ambitious. And those are the types of people that I really, really resonate with and, uh, create lifelong friendships with, you know, again, we're in the relationship business and I don't know how many weddings I go to each year and, and sometimes funerals, unfortunately, but uh, you know, it's just, it's something that I really enjoy. And so people that, that are like-minded, same age group, same demographic, you know, not, not, I mean, not to say anything bad about Gen Z, but it's just such a different, um, I don't know, it's a different belief system than, and if I can influence them, Hey, I'm going to try, but it's such a different belief system than from what I grew up with. So I really enjoy, uh, ambitious people, uh, that are in their middle ages like me. <laughs> I love it. And there's definitely some of those people listening. Where should they go to find you? Where should we send them? And we'll put all this in the show notes also. You can just go to jefflater.com or, or find me. That's my, that's my Instagram name, Jeff Later, altogether, J-E-F-F-L-A-T-E-R. Always posting content on there. Yeah, that's the best. All my links are on there too. That's the easiest route. Done and done. Jefflater.com. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And I, I love talking with the fitness professionals. They're, they're fighting the good fight, doing the right thing. Because so many aren't. <laughs> we will keep moving forward and telling the truth. Awesome. I love it. All right. Have a good one. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a five-star rating if you have the time. That makes a big difference. DM us on Instagram at feelstrongfit. Any questions if you just want to pick our brain. If you'd like more info, the website is feelstrong.me. We value effectiveness, individualization, and empathy. If you want to see what it's like to have an expert in the field, really listen and hear what you need to build you the perfect program to get you where you want to go, today is the perfect time to get started. We look forward to hearing from you. And thank you very much.